Good boy, Finley Breer. Hey, if you fly low, take them. Did you have fun? Good. Let's go home and make supper. Welcome to the ND Outdoors podcast. Welcome to episode 10 of the NDO podcast. This week we have our fisheries chief on, Greg Power. Thanks for being on, Greg. Yeah, and we're just going to talk a little bit about kind of some trends and changes uh, in fisheries over the years, and then um, some impacts of this crazy snow we keep getting, um, both on on the fish and wildlife side of things. So, yeah. It never ends. I can't turn my head yeah, all the way to the right because of <laughs> snow blowing, and it's kind of crazy. Sounds like some more forecasted as we record here, too. Uh, yeah, Greg, if you just want to let us know kind of your background roles with the department, history of the department, and, and kind of what you do now. You bet. <clears throat> well, I've been around, good, bad, or otherwise, for getting to be a very long time. I started in actually in the late 70s uh, as a seasonal with Game and Fish in Riverdale. And I was going to school at UND at the time, and then they offered a graduate study. We had actually three studies in one that we combined on Lake Sakakwea. Um, and actually, we got a couple of our people in this building today were students back then in the early 80s. And I studied the, uh, the primary productivity of Lake Sakakwea. It was probably the best job of my career. <laughs> Looking back, it was a blast. Is the limnology, the little critters in the water that you can't even see with your eyes, but how that all assimilated into the fishery from, from zooplankton to smelt to the walleye or salmon fisheries. So that's what I did in graduate school. Then i fortunate enough to get hired in Riverdale for Actually, the one and only, what at the time was called a fishery research biologist. And I held that position for first five years of my career. Moved to Bismarck because they had a big issue on the Missouri River with uh, the politics of water management. So I was the Missouri River coordinator for a few years here in Bismarck dealing with, went from zooplankton to politics, which was quite, <laughs> quite a leap. Uh, and since then, I was then as a district supervisor and a section leader, and then I've been fisheries chief now for 17, 18 years. Hmm. Just just to uh, let everybody know how much knowledge Greg has, I was born in 1977. Been with the department for 20 years, so <laughs> I graduated from high school in 1977. I'll just keep quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a number of lakes we've got is kind of. Kind of amazing what we've got sitting on right now in North Dakota. Can you give us a little rundown of our It is. Lakes? You know, it's all relative and, you know, there's place and time. And, you know, when like you said, you were born in the late 70s, so you've probably known pretty pretty good times. But I, good, bad, or why, otherwise, again, when I was in Riverdale, I remember 1988. It was incredibly hot and windy. I remember it because the office back then didn't even have air conditioning. We had box fans. Went home at night. They have air conditioning, had box fans, and it was so bad. And that in 1988, we had 160 lakes roughly in the state. And that was what I thought at the time was the norm. That was what it was, and it, but it wasn't very good. Um, 
over time, you know, beginning in 1993 and all the wet years for three decades now, we're up to 450 fishable lakes. And a lot of these, just because of nature, they're in the prairie pothole region and the soil types and stuff, the highly, highly productive uh, fisheries. So they become destination fisheries, especially for a lot of non-residents. But yeah, that's uh, where we're today, right today, we're at a record number of fishing lakes in the state. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to think that some of our fishing license sales still decrease a little bit over the last few years with all that opportunity. But for for a while there, you know, if you go way back again, if you go to the late late 80s to the late 90s, we were at a low. We were actually, it was one year, I believe our license sales went below 100,000 resident mm-hmm. license sales. Then we, when the lake started to come back and the uh, Sakakwe's fishery recovered and our license sales went up, and it really went up uh, 10 years ago. We had a really nice bump, and then it's plateaued off. You know, Even though we have more fishing waters out there, we are not seeing an increase in light fish license sales, but there's, they've been you know, fairly steady here mm-hmm. in the last five, six years. And not only do we have a lot of lakes, but the fishing is phenomenal in some of these lakes. I mean, just crazy. We are. It, you know, so North Dakota, we, we call it, internally we call it the big three. So you got Sakakwe, the Missouri River, Wahi, and then Devil's Lake. Those three waters represent basically half the participation and for sure half the fishing effort every year, those, those three waters. So the other 400, what would be 447 waters represent the other half. But a lot of these lakes out there, I mean, it's, it's not that difficult to get five nice walleye or your 20 perch or, you know, whatever the limit may be. It, they're, they're quality fisheries and... Um, and the nice thing about a lot of them is sometimes you have it to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what North Dakotans really appreciate, being able to go out there, get lost, and, and catch some fish. Yeah. yeah, I remember last year, this typically doesn't happen to me. Usually I'm the should have been here yesterday guy. But <laughs> me and a buddy went out on the lake and <clears throat> limited out on really nice perch. There wasn't a soul on the lake. It was 40 degrees. This was ice fishing. Yeah. 40 degrees out. Nobody else in the lake, and we limited out. It's like, oh, we. Fu- I was finally the guy that found it. <laughs> finally, the guy. <laughs> I still have a hard time like rolling up somewhere, and there's just no signs of anyone <laughs> no. ever being here. It's like yeah. I don't know about this. Well, but that's yeah. What, usually, that's what we did. We looked at each other. And we went, uh oh, either nobody knows about this yet, or the bite's over. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and you, on perch, on the perch theme, there is a lot of. Uh, Lewis and Clarking that goes on, mm-hmm. and the first one's out, and there's that's one thing I've, for sure I've seen in the last 10, 15 years, I, ice fishing for perch. There's some diehards out there, and they do a lot of prospecting. Mm-hmm. They yep. go to places that, well, it's not that, especially in a winter like this, very difficult to get in. Mm-hmm. We had a neighbor who used to put a, a like a mannequin on a bucket out in his <laughs> slough, <laughs> and people would drive by and slow way down, and one guy even went out. Drilled a hole and then walked over to the guy, and there was like an old citation parked on the side of the. <laughs> he parked an old citation that didn't run Gosh. on the side of the slough, and he walked over. Oh, it was a mannequin. <laughs> There's a speaking of stories, ice fishing stories get off the point a little bit, but I was out ice fishing out all towards Jamestown one time, and an airplane lands, and the guy walks over. While I'm out ice fishing, comes over, and he says, "That's how he does his scouting." He goes up and he goes to see where the people are and he really focuses on people like myself at the time by myself out mm-hmm. of Timbuktu. And he says, there's usually a reason you're out there by yourself. And 
Yeah, that's yeah. all he did his scout. He was <laughs> go up to his little scout plane. Well, now we have to make a 24-hour. You can't fish after you fly. <laughs> yeah. Cruel, right? That's dedication. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, talking ice and this winter, we're coming into what is maybe, if this keeps up, it'll be a record breaker. Um, but what are we looking at as far as the detriment to the fisheries as far as? Yeah, that's that's a, it's kind of a bummer at this point, you know, where getting close to the first of the new year and uh it's been a challenge we you know for bismarck and for, for basically central north dakota that's been kind of the epicenter of the snow everybody's had the wind and the cold but we're kind of that the epicenter of the snow and we're at, in that 50 inch range while 50 inches is roughly the normal annual snowfall we get that's what basically we had last winter if you go back just two winters ago we had it's hard to believe this, but we had 16 inches for the entire winter, mm-hmm. you know, so. And last winter includes the April oh, snowstorm that we had. Yes, yep, yep, which added, what was it, close to 20 inches mm-hmm. right there. But um, so the reality of today, we have two issues when it comes to fishing, angler or a biologist, it doesn't matter. One is short term, and that's simply access, mm-hmm. getting on the lakes, you know. It's an issue even interstates are closed half time here, it seems like, in the last month. Yeah. But, you know, just the highways to get you to the lake, then you get to the lake and you get on the lake. And if you get on the lake, you know, how long is it going to take till you get stuck? So the access is a big deal. It's obvious that it's a winter of have and have not so far, and you better have a track vehicle or snowmobile. That mm-hmm. sounds like what's happening so far. It's not, you're not, a four-wheel drive truck isn't enough to get onto most of these fishing lakes. So that's, you know, who knows? North Dakota being North Dakota, we... In the next couple of weeks, a month, you could have a big thaw. Mm-hmm. Things could change, that part. The other concern, longer term, is the what we call winter kill. <coughs> and it's it's that potential is very real. Uh, a nightmare for a, a biologist is a snow event to come early. First, to get ice up early. This year, our ice up pretty much was close to normal. It wasn't late or early. It was pretty normal. But then we had that snow, that first November snow. For, the good news about that, it sounds like for most of our lakes, it was not slush. It didn't freeze up. It froze up immediately after that with that cold weather. So <clears throat> that that was good. But since in all the snow we've had, and it, a lot of our lakes are close to 100% snow covered, it's that time of the year our day length is at its shortest. So photosynthesis is always, there isn't a lot of that going on anyways. And you put snow on top of the ice, then you get a prolonged winter with that snowpack if it stays, you know, into March. That uh, that can be a recipe for disaster. We've had some bad winters in the past. We've had forty to fifty lakes we've lost. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood, but we're we're kind of like we could have a repeat. Yeah. So explain a little on the the process that causes a winter kill. Sure. We talked a little bit about photosynthesis, but. But that light not getting through it's critical. starts yeah. to do so, what? So in our lakes, we got just like above ground in the summer, you got your, we have trees, we have all the crops and stuff. We have a f- lots of photosynthesis going on and putting out a lot of oxygen through the, the crops and so forth. That's a 24-7, 365 thing that goes on under the ice also with the weeds, what we call aquatic weeds, the different types of, especially our native weeds. And that does go on all winter long and that first off when the lake ice is up typically are what we call parts per million of oxygen you 
need to have the dissolved oxygen in the water for a fish in a, to, to survive. And you need, you know, for the most part, you need above four parts per million. And typically at ice up, our lakes are 8, 10, 12 parts per million. And you'll see a slow, gradual decrease over the course of winter. Um, it's a balancing act with, the, what again, that photosynthesis that's mm-hmm. going on with the plants. But you get a lot a big snowpack on there that ice, that light penetration can't get in through the, through the into the water column. And then those plants start dying off. And not a, at that point, not only aren't they putting out the oxygen that's needed, but when they die, they decompose the bacteria and everything in the water. It's called the biological oxygen demand. But the BODs go way up on that mm-hmm. lake. And that even further stresses oxygen. So you'll see this, it's sometimes a pretty dramatic decrease in dissolved oxygen. And the fish then start to become lethargic. And then, you know, a lot of anglers have seen it where you punch a hole and fish come up in the hole and they're you know, gasping for air. And that's... They are that they're mm-hmm. they're on their last legs at mm-hmm. that point. And, um, the 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 process itself usually takes probably it's, it's not something that happens overnight. It's a course of weeks, months, um, and we'll never know until for sure until ice goes out and you know we do our follow up surveys mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, you've punched that hole sometimes. You can you can smell it. Oh, that, when it gets when they actually start dying when that, fish start dying. And there's been some question that, that what you're smelling is ammonia that's released as part of that that um, uh, process that goes on when the water goes, what we call anoxic, loses its oxygen, mm-hmm. oftentimes ammonia. Percent of ammonia in the water goes way up, and that's what you're smelling. And there's a little bit of a, what kills the fish. Is it the low oxygen or the ammonia itself can be lethal mm-hmm. to fish? Um, yeah, but that's a very, <laughs> yeah. you'll know yeah. when, you, when you punch, punch a hole. the hole. Yeah. So that, I mean, essentially the habitat in the in the lake starts to disintegrate and disappear and use up oxygen as you go through. And so, yeah, then you've got the wildlife side of things. Um, you know, right now people are seeing groups of deer and stuff already, which a lot of years we don't really get deer grouping up until January, February more so. But when you look around the state, it's like, well, what's sticking out <laughs> of the white stuff? You know, that's where the deer are going. Um, a town or a farmyard or something. And so, I mean, lake habitat and, and wildlife habitat just as important when it comes to the winter. Well, cattail sloughs look crazy right now. I keep looking at them, like, thinking it's just grass, but it's just, like, the tips yeah. of, of cattail mm-hmm. out of all that drifted snow. Yep. <clears throat> so, so, yeah, we talked a little bit about access um, obviously we have a lot of boat ramps and access points. Um, we do have a lot of, except for this winter, <laughs> fisheries that are pretty much just ice fishing type of lakes or shore fishing. You can't really get a boat in and stuff. And so winter like this really decreases those. You know, on a, <coughs> said this many times, on a normal to a open, uh, open winter, we'll <coughs> in the neighborhood of 25% of our entire annual fishing effort is ice fishing. In bad winters in the past, like 1997, 98, for example, is 5%. Mm-hmm. We may be, we'll see, we may be along those lines. But, yeah, that, that access, that's a neat thing about ice fishing is winter there's a, 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 if it's an open winter, there's multiple access sites to these places that typically don't get fished much in the summer. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our, these new prairie lakes out there, they get most of their effort in the 
in, during the ice fishing season. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of just a bummer right now because our fish populations, especially for walleye, these prairie uh, walleye lakes, they're at a record high right now. And our pike population is a pretty strong perch or so-so. But the bottom line is we have the fish are there for the most part. You know, we just need the customer to get out there. And, and if you can't get all of your house, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's, or, it's a problem. Or you don't want to stand out there. Or, oh, <laughs> my God, yeah. In the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So with... Like the last two years, obviously we were in some pretty bad drought stuff two years ago. Um, Last year we kind of got a reprieve a little bit, especially in the southeast part of the state. Is that going to help us or or hurt us as we come into this winter? Well, we we live and die by probably the same parallels our duck factory Mm -hmm. or prairie potholes, but... Our fishing lakes in North Dakota, we live and die, but it seems like droughts and floods, droughts and mm-hmm. floods, and, and that's the norm for North Dakota. And, you know, if you go back a few years, go back to the, uh, September, October of 2019, prior to that, our lakes were down a good five, six feet, and then that that one fall, we filled them right back up, into, mm-hmm. to, in many cases, to record highs. And then since 2019, all the way until this past spring, you know, to April of 22, we dried out again for a long period, and we lost probably three feet on average. And then this past spring, things the runoff came at the perfect time, and our lakes were back to record or near record highs. The summer, we dried out a little bit. Um, we're, we went into winter this year much better shape than we did a year ago. Mm-hmm. And we didn't experience much for winter kill last year, so that was our hopes this winter. Yeah. We'll see. But, um, you know, we're, it, even if we have substantial winter kill, we still, the good news is we're at that record. We're at a high. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can't, you never want to say that you can afford to lose some, but if there was a time, now is probably the time. And and then that's mother's, mother nature, that's what she, she does. And then we'll just kind of try to reset the clock and, move forward from there but the good news is in all likelihood we're going to be in great shape water water wise come mm-hmm. next spring yeah yeah and we should be i mean it's going to be a tough winter on on any critter trying to survive out there but coming into spring what habitat is available should look pretty good yeah yeah i, I think about on the wildlife thing i think about these little satellite populations of your antelope out there yeah that are, are in places and I, apparently their populations are slowly growing mm-hmm. and it's got this this has got to be a tough one. Oh yeah, like up in McLean County, I don't, I don't know if you could see them right now. I think <laughs> the snow is taller. I mean, yeah. you used to see them along Alternate 200 there north of Washburn, and I think the snow might be deeper than any pronghorn that could be running around out there. And then, what if anything will your guys do in the spring? Given, uh, do you guys do some trap and transport if winter kill is? Yeah, that, that's a, a risk. That's a very good question, and. The, the biggest challenge for us is spring's always a challenge. We got a, a lot on the plate in a, you know, mother, mother nature dictates what we do. And it's a narrow time window between spring spawning. We try to move fish to these new community fisheries, but you're right. We'll try to get out, you know, assuming we still have a source, let's say take yellow perch, for example. Um, we'll, tr- we, if we have a good source and I think we still have a number of lakes we got, all we got to do is get, stock roughly 100 pounds of gravid fish, fish that still have their eggs in them at the right time. And that's enough seed to get a new lake going. So, But the, big, the bigger issue is going to be um, 
what lakes winter kill or not. Um, come springtime, we're going to rely on the landowners. They've always been a good source of information and people that are out and about. We can't be everywhere. And so, and a telltale sign is seagulls at ice out mm-hmm. on, on a given lake. If you see a way more seagulls out there picking away on the ice, uh, probably dead fish out there. And, um, <clears throat> and we need to know that. And so we kind of prioritize and try to get back to the lake. We'll follow up with test netting in a lot of these lakes, but again, unfortunately, we can't get to them all. So mm-hmm. we need we do rely on the public to get that information to us. Mm-hmm. So you said a hundred pounds of egg laden fish for perch. How many perch is that? Well, it's, it's it depends upon the size and stuff, mm-hmm. but it might be a thousand or mm-hmm. or less. Yeah, you know, it could be just a couple hundred. Mm-hmm. That's plenty to get her going. Uh, Way back in the day, 30, 40 years ago, when we really were learning, we'd, we thought we needed to stock one lake, its entire standing crop, into the, to the new lake. Wow, that, that, was, that was silly. <laughs> that was a waste of a, a major effort there. Uh-huh. But no, we don't need, you don't need to do much to get, to get a new lake up and running. If it's walleye, we got more time. If it's a walleye lake, let's say that winter kills, that's going to be depend on the stocking program anyways through the hatcheries. We don't stock those fish until June. Mm-hmm. So we have plenty of time there as, you know, as long as we know it did winter kill. Um, and likewise for pike, we got, a, we got time. But uh, if it's a perch only lake, that's something we need to get on top of right away when the ice goes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, uh, the silver lining of getting more water usually makes these prairie lakes Super productive, oh. so it doesn't take us long oh, to bounce yeah. back. That's right, and, and and then again too, just like we saw this last spring, what was what was really nice in twenty two is that those the April blizzard and then the rains that came came at the perfect time in regards to flooding mm-hmm. vegetation along these lakes. We got it up right during the spawn for the pike and perch. Pike and perch rely on flooded vegetation. We need to have that for success successful reproduction we were knocked on wood thought we had the right conditions last spring and then this last fall we did our follow-up uh fall reproductive surveys and sure enough we have if there are perch or pike in the lake we had a lot of young of the year Mm -hmm. which again is good news down the road three four years down the road uh, Mm -hmm. as long as we don't get winter kill (laughs) right yeah And yeah, set us back a little yep. bit, but luckily we can bounce back pretty fast. Yeah, and it's it's pretty resilient. Again, mm-hmm. if you're if you're a native of North Dakota, and you know that's the ebbs and flows of yep. the fisheries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's same same principle with wildlife too. I mean, we've got those years that we had the CRP expanse across the state and things like that. We could go through a winter like ninety six, ninety seven, and and bounce back pheasant populations, things in a couple of years. As long as you have the habitat. Mm-hmm. In fishing lakes, we have the habitat. Sometimes I know it's a little more challenging on the landscape. Yep, yeah. You just need the water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's always one component of that dang habitat that seems to be <laughs> driving something, right? Uh. Casey, what words of wisdom do you have for people trying to help out our wildlife in these snowy conditions? So, yeah, of course, the department, we don't, we don't recommend that you feed wildlife. Um, really take, we're going to lose wildlife this winter. I mean, period. That doesn't matter what you do. Um, and so, you know, really the biggest thing is to pay attention to what's going on and plan for the next years on habitat resources and things that you can, you can really look to see, like, you know, 
deer are coming into a certain area, well, it, that's because they don't have any other choice um, on the landscape within that area. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that happen when, when you start feeding wildlife, whether it's increased, you know, disease spread, whether it's increased reliance on, on humans, um, you know, and, and then just the fact that you might be pulling more animals in than would normally come to that area. So, you know, what starts out as something you think you're going to help one or two critters could turn out to be a hundred or 200. And now you consider that a problem, (laughs) you know? And so, so yeah, really the, you know, the best thing to do is, is uh, try to protect, you know, any, of course, livestock feed sources or things that you may have and folks can call us so that we can, we can give them some ideas or even some, some materials that can help with that. Um, but really, you want the deer that survive a winter like this to be able to survive on their own because they're going to teach the next generation how to do that um, with learned behavior. And so, you know, I, I know it's, it's tough because we all feel bad for them. I mean, <laughs> I feel bad for myself just going out the door sometimes, you know, and I, I, I have a four walls and a heater. You know, and so it's not to say it's not tough out there, but um, realistically, you know, habitat, that money you're going to spend on feeding put towards habitat will go a lot farther into the future than the feed. Yeah, then one thing that'll be good is looks like we've got snow cover across the whole state to get a really good deer survey in this year um, and and moose elk, you know, um, as we go through the through the winter, you know, I know down in the southwest they got pretty warm over the last couple of days, but I don't think it was enough to to open up the hilltops and things too bad. So, which it which is good because we're coming in, you know, with our with our EHD a year ago and and some of that stuff. We need to get a a good solid count. So yeah, blessing and a curse with the snow as far as wildlife management goes. Um, we'll be able to do some pretty decent pheasant sex ratio counts. Um, out there this winter as we were out and about, we usually count the large groups of pheasants and the number of roosters and hens out there. Rodney Gross can use that to see what's going on in the population throughout last year, you know, tell us how our reproduction and stuff was and what we're looking at. But Yeah, it's going to be a tough one for any critter outside the four walls. Yeah, I remember that... uh off topic a little bit, but that 97, the winter 97 all here, I, I think it was at Dawson WMA, and that's some of the very first video that we, we shot here as a department of those, especially the fawns and stuff, slowly suffocating on their own mm-hmm. mucus and stuff. And, man, that's that was tough to see. Yeah. Tough. Yeah, typically we'll lose, you know, young of the year fawns, and then uh, actually the rutting, the bucks that rutted hard. They're going to be the ones that take it first from this bad winters because they're they just don't have the fat reserves and the body reserves to carry them any longer. But but yeah, with a winter like this, you know, last last year the April storm wasn't too hard on wildlife because they weren't that stressed throughout the whole winter. You know, this year if we would happen to run into a couple April storms as we get into the end of winter, that that'll really would have hurt on some some of those animals out there, but. I got some sharp-tailed grouse in my yard that 
look like they're laughing at the pheasants because it was 22 below the other day and the grouse were up in the in the fruit bushes eating, you know, Katoni asters or, or Nanking cherries off the trees and there's a pheasant underneath rooster and he looked like he was about ready to just give up. <laughs> grouse looked like they were playing, so... You can tell the native ones from the oh, not native. They'll <laughs> just burrow right into the snow. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those winters, though, if you, I mean, grouse, coyotes, mm-hmm. and to me, northern pike. I mean, those are the natives that have evolved on the, this landscape, and they they get through these bottlenecks, mm-hmm. these tough bo- bottlenecks like we have now. The pike, you know, I was talking about winter kill before, but pike are are pretty tough. They can deal with oxygen levels down to that two parts per mm-hmm. million and survive. Whereas, let's say if we had a trout lake, you get below five parts, you're in trouble. Walleye, you're generally in that three to four parts per million. You're in trouble with walleye lakes. But pike, they, they're they one of the last fish to tip over in the winter mm-hmm. kill. So they're meant to be here. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if the ice melts and you see a bunch of pike on shore, you know you it's, don't have any that, walleyes left. Yep, yep. <laughs> if you have pike and bullheads, if they're bullheads, in the yeah. that's, that's a bad one. Yeah. Any hot tips or lakes that typically have better access? You know, obviously we're going to look for ones that are close to a highway. That's what I've been looking for. My boys and I even thought about going on the McCluskey Canal just because I can get to it, drop the ice house down yeah. the hill, and pull it back up with the pickup. Yeah, and if fishing's <laughs> slow, you can just sled. Exactly, you can go sledding. <laughs> well, one bit major change that we've seen over the last, well, actually, probably my, my entire career, go back to, Ice fishing in the 1960s, you know, involved a, a station wagon, a mm-hmm. two-wheel car, because most people didn't have pickups, and if you had a pickup, it was probably a two-wheel drive pickup. Yep. <laughs> um, your auger was either a hand auger or, you know, attach it to your battery type. Mm-hmm. You had wood sticks with red and white bobbers, and it, I mean, it was, by today's standards, very archaic. Mm-hmm. And things have changed tremendously. And there's a lot of money that's spent on ice fishing nowadays, especially for the accessing the lakes. So you see <coughs> every year you see more and more track vehicles out there and mm-hmm. snow bears and whatever. And this is one of those winters where they are extremely useful and popular. And I'm sure they're going to be, you know, we're talking about it's it's going to be difficult for the pickup mm-hmm. angler to get out there unless you have a hard top world right next to the lake. But uh, there is going to be a lot of people because we're certainly seeing more and more people have the money or you know, mm-hmm. prioritize this. So there, there, there are people out there doing that right now. Um, in terms of fisheries, you know, interesting, interestingly, one thing that we've seen for a, a long time is Devil's Lake is the number one ice fishing lake. That's probably no surprise. But Lake Sakakawea for the last 10, 20 years has been gaining popularity, mm-hmm. and it's easily the number two lake ice fishing in in the state most of it occurs in the upper half especially Mm -hmm. the upper third um and they've had a very good walleye fishing season the early ice up there and um i know that snow is getting to be a factor up there also but sakakawi is and it has a healthy walleye population so if you can get out and there's a lot of access sites that should be a good one audubon's always audubon yeah (laughs) it's a Access, I know, is an issue there right now, but you know maybe things will clear out. And we mm-hmm. we have these other bigger lakes across Dry Lake or <clears throat> Alkaline Lake are both good. So, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so any anybody that's got a snowmobile, I'll buy the bait. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to drag two mostly grown boys with me. <laughs> We're often just good old-fashioned foot anglers. So. Yeah, that's what we are, too, a lot of times. But that that's hard right now. I We haven't been out yet, but I'm hoping the drifts are solid. Yeah. Well, and, that, and, so and, that, and that's part, that is some of the good news here. We've had a recent couple days of, of above freezing temperatures, mm-hmm. and it doesn't take much to crust that snow up and harden that snowpack. So, right, I mean, it's one thing to walk through, you know, 20 inches of snow and you're up to your knees every step. Mm-hmm. But if you can walk on the snow, then it's not so bad. And, and I think we're getting there. So that's... Yeah. That walk on access, I think you, we're going to have some of that here soon. You can do it with snowshoes right now. The sled will stay on top of the snow, but I do not without <laughs> snowshoes right now. <laughs> Our little pro tip on that is for a long time, we've bought just an old pair of cross-country skis and uh-huh. screw them onto our sled. Oh, yeah. And yep. it helps tremendously oh, yeah. um, pulling the sled. So, mm-hmm. yeah, both of it's our sleds. It's called a smitty sled, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I think that, yeah, I was going to say, I think it's... You can buy them like that, but you can pick <laughs> up even like a free pair of cross country skis on like Facebook Marketplace and mm-hmm. just screw yeah. them on. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of tricks. Yeah. It's amazing how when you get something like this, and people will think up oh. all kinds of stuff to figure out how to do it. You know, if you're really bored someday, go onto YouTube and just look at ice fishing, and what what some people do during the summer months to outfit their little clams or Eskimos mm-hmm. or shell, whatever their shell might be, all the gadgets and toys yeah. they put on this thing. Is inc- I mean, it's impressive. It is. Yeah. People spend a lot more. I think they have more fun, you know, planning and getting ready than mm-hmm. the actual event. Yeah. yeah. We used to, used to build those ice houses that were, you know, a couple of sheets of plywood and a tarp. And the, then the blue tarp. Yep. And, the, <laughs> and then you try to drag them or you can't get them oh. into the pickup. And now it's, you got to concoct some way to, Figure out how they slide or how they, it's like. I mean, grief. that was a, that was a flag of North Dakota at one time mm-hmm. in the winter. It was a four, it was a four by eight piece of ply with two by twos on in your corners and you'd have the blue tarp over there and it, it was loud and the wind blew. And yeah. oh. <laughs> I built one with a canvas tarp one time and then uh, I cooked a bunch of bacon in it. This thing still smells like bacon to this day. <laughs> I bet it was 15 years ago that that bacon was cooked in there. <laughs> That would be, be, you know, northern Minnesota, North Dakota, that'd be an interesting, uh, there's probably a book out Mm -hmm. on that now, just the evolution of ice houses over time, how they went from, you know, very heavy, you needed to have a flatbed trailer to load your your ice house on, you know, to the the four by eight sheets of plywood, Mm -hmm. to then the sled started to come on, and, you know, now you got the clamp, or the... Ice castles and every other thing out there. Mm-hmm. The amount of money that's gone into is incredible. Yeah. As my boys would call it, ice fishing hacks, mm. they say. <laughs> I got one question, question for Greg. What's your favorite fish to go ice fishing for? You know, it used to be perch, yellow perch. Um, not so much anymore. I don't know. I'm probably multiple Pike, perch, or walleye. That I've, I've actually, last few winters, I've been experiencing some of these prairie pothole walleye fisheries, and they're fun, especially, you get my age, especially if you can get them to bite during the day. Yeah. You know, you don't have to wait for that 45-minute sundown mm-hmm. bite. You know, if you can get them during the day, and there are some lakes that are just that right cloudiness, turbid, you know, uh, they'll have a, 
a bite that goes on constantly through the day, and that that's fun. I mm-hmm. like it. Yeah, I like to sit up where I don't know what's going to bite, because <laughs> I'm I'm not an I'm not, I don't chase fish across the ice. <laughs> I drill my hole and I sit there and relax. <laughs> you're 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 becoming the exception to the rule. I know. <laughs> I just like relaxing, not have to do anything. You like relaxing in your sausage. Yep. Yep. <laughs> They're usually a spear during the day and then move for the walleye yeah. bite. There you go. That's how we compromise our two different needs mm-hmm. in the household. <laughs> then you got to either find two lakes close together or one that has both. Yeah, usually <laughs> one that has both. But yeah, and I might try to, well, we'll see what happens here. But I'd like to try it, uh, take a stab at spearing a walleye. Yeah, new this year. Spear so. a walleye this year. That's, that's right. right. Just a, uh, FYI, that's just on the big mm-hmm. waters Stump Lake, mm-hmm. Devil's Lake. Missouri, Wahi and Sakakuya. Um, we'll see. You know, the nice thing, that we'll get a little bit of information because anybody that dark spear spearfishes, if you're 16 and older, need to register. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll, we'll be asking the walleye follow-up question on our survey next spring, get a feel for how much, you know, the input when we, this is the first winter that we've allowed it. The input we had from those that participate is that, you know, like again, Sakakuya or Devils Lake, both of them are the walleye numbers are at or near a record levels in both those waters. And even at that, the people that are out there uh, dark spear spearfishing for pike in the past say they don't see a lot of walleye. Mm-hmm. They just they're maybe one every week or something like that. So yeah, I like dark spear spearfishing, and I've seen just as many salmon as I have walleye. <laughs> I've seen one of each. <laughs> We have seen a lot. It's just a matter, yeah, I don't, on specifically on those two waters, but um, it's just a matter of it's going to be a little tougher throw. They're not usually at all in coming into the decoy. They're just yeah. they're on the move. cruising on the bottom. Um, but we see a lot. I mean, yeah. I've we've almost caught a limit of walleyes out of the spear hole at Devils, but, um, yeah, we'll see if, if we even make it up there. Yeah, uh, The salmon I saw actually hit my decoy. That's it was crazy. on Wolf Creek in Sakakawea, and I had not seen a fish for four hours. And I was staring down that hole, and that salmon came right, like, under the ice level and dropped down and huh. hit the decoy. And then he swam away, and I jigged the decoy, and he came back and hit it again and took off. <laughs> and I was trying to drop a jig down. I could have <laughs> nothing. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and I've seen one walleye on Sakakawea. That's been it. Well, time will tell. I don't mm-hmm. think, I think it's just another option, right. you know, more opportunity mm-hmm. for people out there to keep them a little more interested. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we'll have, probably have a lot less people trying to spear too this year with the weather. Yeah. yeah. It'll be it's a little tougher to get on. Although if you can get past the snow on the edge, the Kakawea might be the place to go because at least you don't have to shovel all the snow away to get to the ice, yeah. drill your spear hole. And, you know, if, with the snowpack we have, uh, there's going to be a little less ice pack, even though when it's mm-hmm. as cold as it's been lately. But it, that snow is a major insulator, and it slows down the growth of the ice. Mm-hmm. So if you're, I know those that dark all spearfish, one of the challenges is cutting your hole and stuff. Yeah. There's probably going to be a little bit less ice once you <laughs> get through the snow. I always say that I'm going to go early spearing <laughs> when the ice comes, so I only have to cut a hole through eight inches of ice, but I never make it. Instead, you go March 1st. Yeah, I go February. All right. Well, thanks for being on, Greg. We'll hope that, uh, yeah, maybe things turn around a little bit here. We get some reprieve. But uh, Here's um, hoping to 
a week or two of 50s here yeah. in January. Yeah. <laughs> um, when this airs, our legislative session will be going on. So Casey will be busy. Yeah. Uh, Greg will be busy. Yeah. <laughs> no, Greg <laughs> hopes not to be busy. Yeah. yeah, that's always an interesting, interesting time. But um, people should get involved and pay attention if they're interested. And we do have a way on our website to stay up to date on any bills that may affect hunting and fishing um, type of situations. So, uh, I think we've mentioned this a few times, but kind of one of our last hunting opportunities is just that squirrel season's open through the end of February. So if we do get that 50-degree warm-up in January, mm-hmm. it could be a, a fun way to spend some time in the woods. You'll probably need snowshoes yeah. for that this year. <laughs> but Yeah, and then the, the watercraft registration is this year. So there's a way you can do that online. Um, so everybody should check their watercraft registration, make sure they're up to date. People aren't thinking about that right now. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, the department's already sent out a reminder. So come May that you're not caught without your registration. You know, the interesting thing on that is it every, it's a three-year period. So if you, you're good for three years if you register here this spring. But we were, we're up to, I think we're over 70,000 registered watercraft now new york or california that's not a lot but per capita north dakota i believe is one of the leading states that have registered watercraft mm-hmm. so it's because the fishing's so good in the summer a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of it yeah there's there's boaters recreators but yeah that's, fishing mm-hmm. drives a lot yeah like you said don't don't wait until may when you hook up the boat and go oh wrong color sticker yeah. you know get it done early uh, I think we mentioned this as well, but we did a ice fishing challenge. If you do, if you can make it out there on the ice, take someone new with you, and then just uh, share your story with us, and um, we'll pick one randomly chosen winner. We'll get uh, a fish house, and the deadline for that is March thirty first. So, there you go. Um, yeah. When's free ice fishing weekend? It will have passed when this airs. Okay. As we're recording, it's this coming weekend. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and just be. Be careful on the snow and ice. You don't want to get out there and get hypothermia. And like Greg said, the the ice isn't always necessarily as thick as you think it's going to be under a snowpack. So, yeah, I just hate. For, I'd hate for a family and especially take a couple kids out and go and get stuck. And that prairie pothole area I was talking about, Central North Dakota, it's very rural, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, one big change today that we didn't have 20, 30 years ago are cell phones, and that's a life savior. For mm-hmm. sure, in situations like that, but you don't have coverage everywhere right. either. So you sure, you know, no fishing, no hunting is worth, you know, getting putting yourself in the position where you're out there stranded in conditions like we had last week when wind chills were in, nearing sixty below. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and usually where the reception isn't so great is in that low spot <laughs> yeah. where the water is. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, now that we've dropped the droppings, you can get off the pot and get outdoors. <laughs>